Welcome to Smart Businesses Do This, where today we're gonna to be talking about how to increase the lifetime value of your customers with the one and only president of digitalmarketer.com, Mark DeGrasse. Mark, welcome. Thank you very much. You are listening to Smart Businesses Do This, the podcast show for freelancers, side hustlers, and upcoming small business owners who want to transform their current business or business idea into a company that is built to succeed, simple to run, and gives you the freedom to live your life on your own terms. I'm your host, Adam Lyons. Let's get started. Excellent. I will speak into the mic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> only for recording purposes. <laughs> yeah, for, <laughs> so, I'll speak up. I'll speak up. Yeah. Mark is uh, not only a really good friend of mine, um, but obviously now the president of digitalmarketer.com, which you've been doing for two years now. A uh, year and a half. Yeah, yeah, year and a half. Year and a half. So it's, it's August. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been a, it's been a while. Now, um, one of the cool things I think about Mark is Mark is actually an entrepreneur. And I love it when the president of a company was already an entrepreneur because they come to this with a different skill set. They're not coming to it as a uh, employee, but they actually think about growth and uh, you know customer value and lifetime value and, and what it actually costs. So why don't we start just from uh, the very beginning, Mark, of um, how did you end up becoming bloody president of digitalmarketer.com? Uh, you know what's funny is I think every five years I, I take an executive role. So this my fourth one over 20 years. Uh, and it all started, I never wanted a job ever, you know, and it, it was kind of anti-job since I think I was seven years old. Cause my dad was always working so hard. He's a computer engineer. I think he would get up at 4am every single morning up until like a year ago when he retired. And I saw that and I was like, Pah. No, I don't want to do that. Like work in corporate and do all this kind of stuff. Uh, but what I found was that you can't teach yourself everything, right? You know, you think you can, and you can go online, you can take all the courses, go to all the events, network all you want. It isn't the same as actually listening to somebody else, like being a follower for once, you know? So, uh, what I ended up doing was whenever I had like a gap in my skill set, is I would take a job. And so I've been a, a CFO for a startup, uh, chief fit, uh, financial officer. officer. No, no, I have been a chief fitness officer. So that's why I almost screwed it up. Uh, I was a, a CFO for a startup, a tech startup. Then I was a marketing director for a commercial fitness company. Then I was a uh, chief fitness officer. I was basically a content director uh, for Onnit Labs. Everybody know Joe Rogan and mm -hmm. that crew. Uh, and then now president for Digital Marketer. So in between those, I had companies. So previous to being Digital Marketer, I was an uh, agency owner, uh, built about 300 websites, basically a one person agency. I've always been pretty anti-personnel uh, <laughs> for quite a while just because of those executive roles. I was like, man, I have to deal with so many people. Uh, so for the, the agency though, my goal was really to fix the internet by instead of having marketers create all the content, I thought, well, if I could teach small business owners to actually create the content themselves, then we have better content because I'm not a doctor. So even if I can make a doctor website and a doctor brand, I really shouldn't advise people on anything that has yeah. should have doctor. Uh, so I thought, okay, I'll train these, these small business owners to be the people that make the information. Turns out nobody wants to do that. <laughs> so I had about a 95% failure rate of trying to implement the teaching to small business owners. Mm -hmm. So instead what ended up happening was I, I started being a CMO, so or a fractional CMO uh, for multiple companies and then hooked up with digital marketer because I knew uh, Richard Lindner, one of the owners, uh, his kid was in my kid's class and then that's kind of how we met and you know, went from there. But uh, what the whole process 
was, was I need, I wanted to teach people, you know, that's what I was trying to do. And so digital marketer teaches marketers how to do marketing. So it really fits and the timing was perfect. And, you know, originally I was supposed to be the content executive for scalable, yep. the, the umbrella company. And then they're like, well, we're reforming <clears throat> digital marketer as its own company. Do you want to be the president? I'm like, sure. I'll be the president. It's <laughs> a good job. Uh, and that's kind of how it happened. But in between, I mean, there's been so many projects. I was the owner of a chip and dip company. Uh, I actually moved to Austin because I sold my magazine, I had a fitness magazine and an e-commerce store for unconventional training equipment, uh, kettlebells, which everybody knows kettlebells, but back then nobody knew kettlebells. Yeah. Uh, and so I did the magazine is content marketing for the equipment. And that's what content marketing is. A lot of people overcomplicate it, but all you're trying to do is attach useful information to your product and then you share it. Not, not hard. Uh, so I sold that magazine and that's how I got the, the role on it and then started the agency and went from there. Yeah, so. I, I love it. So what, what I think is great about this journey is if you guys listen to this, it's like the muddiest yet most incredible resume, right? It's like a whole bunch of different things, but they're kind of all loosely tied together. And I, I know what ties them together because obviously I know Mark and it is lifetime value because it doesn't really matter if you've got a magazine, uh, if you're doing content creation, digitalmarketer.com or for on it, whatever it is that he's doing, the whole goal is how can I maximize lifetime value? So to make it really simple for you guys, if you don't know what lifetime value is, it's probably the most important metric of any company. If what I sell costs $100, a single sale to my company gets me $100. The question is how much would I be willing to spend to get that sale? If the answer is $99.99, you're not playing the game correctly. The answer actually should be, well, after they buy the $100 product, what else will they buy? And what will be the total amount of money I'll get from them over a lifetime period? Or what many companies track is a 30 day, 60 day, 90 day, and then maybe one year, 18 month, two year, which tends to be where most people kind of stop anything over two years being bonus. But again, it just depends how far ahead you want to think. I know people that track 10 year lifetime value. So once you calculate that and let's just say, okay, it's a hundred dollars, but it's a hundred dollars a month, which means it's 2,400 over the course of two years, I could spend $2,350 to acquire that customer, which is far more of a spend than any of my competitors would be willing to do, knowing I'm gonna make 50 bucks in two years time, which is still a return on investment, and a return on investment is a return on investment is a return on investment. Obviously, you don't necessarily wanna to play to that level of risk, but it puts you in a much stronger position. And um, as somebody that fully understands lifetime value, our, our entire company was based on lifetime value. In fact, upsells.com, uh, which is who sponsors this episode, what we do is a done-for-you lifetime value increasing service. Like we'll go in, talk to your customers, and increase your revenue for you. So, so we're huge on this. And in fact, the last 18 years of running my business, most of my business has been going in somebody else's company and taking over the increasing of the lifetime value. So I'm super excited to hear what you have to say about it. So what would you say is the first step? How does somebody increase lifetime value? Well, I think you know a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that getting the sale is really the point of marketing. And it's not. 
it, it's just what you said, lifetime value. And more than that is it's going to become way more important, like the most important metric that we all have in the near future because of chat GPT. Who here has been hearing that word like way too often? Like everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I like too often. Not, oh, I've heard of it. Like, no, no, no. It's like, well, once you hear of it, you'll hear it everywhere. And the reason is because it's fantastic. You know, if you do research, you know, if it, you know, any content marketers in here where you're constantly doing research or just making content creators, maybe, uh, you have to do a lot of research. And what happens with Google is Google has trained us all to be analog searchers. You know, you, you type in a question, you get a hundred million answers. And then you're like, okay, crap, let me think about the question. Let me restate the question. Okay, here's a million answers. Oh, let me go on Quora and see what some random person thinks. And then let me go on some YouTube video and see what that thinks. And let me switch over to images and see if what I want is there. And then sometimes you just give up on the search altogether because it's so annoying and time consuming to go through Google and do all this research. So what happens with chat GDP is instead of giving you like, hey, here, jerk, here's a box of crap, look through it and find what you want. It just gives you a summarized human centric answer that answers your question. So instead of having to sort through a bunch of crap, what you have is just the answer you want. Now, it sounds way too simple and people are like, okay, well, whatever. Oh, it's a nice new tool. It's like, no, it's not just a nice new tool because if you think of all the questions that you ask Google, there's probably a large percentage of them that you don't need any kind of commercial answer to. You just need an answer. And so what that's going to do is it's going to uh, really cut into the amount of content that we create because now you can't get that kind of uh, you know loosely connected content that was connected to your product but really was just a useful answer for your target audience. So that's how you got in front of them. Chat GDP and these kind of services are going to take away that person. So now you have way less exposure than you had before when you're doing your organic content creation, which is really bad <laughs> because what's going to happen is that your cost to acquire a new customer is going to go through the roof. So now you have to think about your lifetime value because the person is going to be gold to you. It's going to be gold to everybody because they're not going to be able to find you any other way besides paid advertising. So essentially what it's going to do is it's going to eliminate a lot of the content traffic that you used to get through SEO and through just publishing a bunch of junk online, which is really bad if you're a content marketer or an SEO professional, because now it's not really necessary for you to do a lot of it. There's going to be what Google is going to become is essentially what eBay became. So I don't know if everybody remembers eBay when they first came out, it was like, oh my gosh, I could buy cool crap online. It was one of the first companies you could actually do that. And so what happened to them once everybody made their online stores is essentially they became this niche uh, kind of site that people went to only when they wanted the special item and blah, blah, blah. And it really took away a lot of their market. That's going to happen to Google because Google has commercial solutions. And we expect commercial solutions from Google because Google wants to make money, wants to make money so bad that they've hidden their algorithm from us. They've said, no, we're not going to tell you when we're updating it. We're not going to tell you what it does. We're not going to tell you how to assess anything. We're gonna, this is ours. We're going to take it and we're going to use this algorithm to make money, which we all said like, okay, well, at least you at least give like a, Google things. Exactly. Google <laughs> things, you know? And so now you have an alternative. So instead of going to this person who has been trying to take your money the whole time, now you can just go to another solution that just says, Hey, here's that info you wanted. It's essentially giving us what we thought we were getting with the internet. We thought we were getting simple answers to simple questions. And what we got was a box of crap that 
that we have to look through all the time. You know, it's not good. It's not, I mean, nobody wants that. Nobody asked for that. And we've just been trained and forced into it because they had a monopoly on search. So now that's taken away. And actually OpenAI is actually owned by Microsoft and Bing. And so what's going to happen, and, and oh, I wish I could remember his name, another Mark uh, actually talked about this. And he said that within the next two to five years is what you're going to find is that Bing might take over as the search engine of choice because it already integrates OpenAI, the company that they own, and ChatGPT. So get ready for that. <laughs> but at the end of the day, what, what you have is you have a huge opportunity. And the opportunity is really for good content. Because if Chat G, essentially what ChatGPT does is it looks over the last two years of internet, aggregates all the data essentially instantly, and gives you an answer based on the question and how you ask the question. And all the things I just said are insanely complicated to do, but they figured it out. And now instead of spending hours and hours doing research, like for the speech that I didn't really need to make this morning, <laughs> I essentially spent like 20 minutes researching, got all the data I needed, created a, a 30 minute presentation, and I didn't need to talk to my assistant, didn't need to you know, get the interns to research a bunch of data, didn't need to do a ton of stuff that I've done historically for probably, I don't know, tens of thousands of hours over my career. Gone. I just get the answers I want. Uh, it's incredible. So I, I love this. There's um, th there's some really key com uh, components here, um, and we'll definitely um, you know, make sure we give you guys a chance to, to talk to Mark as well. Um, one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is the AI algorithm, when you use it to create content, the AI knows that it created the content. If you take that content and you post it online, the AI algorithm knows it created that content and does not actually value it higher, it values it lower. This is so important as a content creator for you to understand. You cannot outsource your content creation to AI because if you do, you will be, um, I suppose, highlighted as someone that has outsourced your content to the AI and therefore the AI already knew that content and no longer validates your content. Because if you think about it, it would create a loop of the AI talking to itself and that isn't good content. This is a great way for search engines, Google, Bing, YouTube, etc., to identify who is a lazy content creator and much in the same way that when people tried hacking the algorithm of the websites by creating a thousand websites all point to one place, they suddenly overnight lost everything. If you build a content strategy around AI in this way, you are going to get dinged. It's just a matter of time of when. You might be able to use the algorithm for three months, six months, a year, but that, in, that content will be on the internet. And when the AI comes around, like you said, then Google changes its algorithm and it can work out what is AI, it's gone. Now, there are a few workarounds that, that we use for this. And I think one of my favorites is what we're calling cyborg technology, where you're using AI much in the same way that Mark says for research, but it's still a human creating the content, not via cut and paste, but actually via creating the content. But the research has been done by AI, uh, by AI. And this is a much stronger method to use. Or 
my personal favorite for AI, uh, for ChatGPT, which is actually ask it to output standard operating procedures. Mm -hmm. And I have found that asking ChatGPT to output standard operating procedures is a much better use of automated um, content creation for internal documents that it doesn't matter what the world sees, but suddenly my internal team have a system of how to upgrade their computer or how to edit a video or how to find good content or how to research a subject rather than trusting my team to go online and try and work out how to do it. I can just go, Hey, chat GPT, what's the best SOP for find, uh, how to research a subject and chat GPT is going, this is your 10 step process. And then I hand that to my team and go, here's your 10 step process. I go, thanks boss. I didn't know we had an SOP for that. I'm like, of course we did. <laughs> you know, now I made it. Thank you. AI. So I, so just for everyone listening again, I'm not saying that there isn't going to be a, a short economy where you could use ChatGPT to output content. I'm just going to say, don't convince yourself that that's the strategy that's going to win. New, fresh, current, human thought content is going to be AI content time and time again. Oh, yeah. Well, and the thing is, it's for brands, because you always have to think of like, okay, well, if I can't just create content or whatever content, which is what a lot of us do, you know, you need to make an article, you have a deadline. I don't care what's in this, just whatever, you know, and that's really what chat GPT is doing is it's just giving you this information. What you have to think of is what's the style of content that's unique for my brand and how can I create content in that way so that it's not just good content, it's stylized content that's specific to what you do. And that's really where the trick is. So what I've, and I've said this to when I had my, my website agency, I said to my clients, I'm like, you want your website to be the resource. You want people, you want your website to be so valuable in terms of the information that you provide that people skip Google. They say, no, I don't need to go to Google to find this information. I have this awesome company that I follow. They have all the information I need. I don't need to go to anywhere else. So that's essentially what all websites are going to have to do if you expect to get any traffic that's not your existing, uh, what I call your privatized following, is it's going to have to be so interesting and so much content and so much unique content that people know they don't have to go to chat GPT, they don't have to go to Google, they don't have to go to Bing or whatever else, they just come to you. And so it, it sounds... It's super hard. Yeah. <laughs> just, there's nothing easy about what I'm talking about, but really the players are going to be, I mean, the big companies are going to be huge. You have, you know, Harvard business review comes out with about 600 articles a month. So just wrap your head around that, like 600, you know, at, at uh, digital marketer, like I'm a content marketer. We came out with 220 articles last year, 110, uh, no, 120 podcasts, uh, 150 videos on YouTube, all of that stuff just nothing compared to 600 pieces a month. Now that wasn't all stylized either. So now you have to think about okay, how do I stylize my content? Then there's another side of AI that, that a lot of people don't consider, but you have to flip like, okay, AI is doing all this work, but imagine that you had an AI and the AI was tracking your behavior and the stuff you looked at and the, the things you clicked and then reformatted data that you were looking for based on your personal preferences. So, now start to imagine what data the AI will find for you specifically. And that's where I think the real change is going to be is that we have this like, okay, go somewhere to get something. But now imagine that, you know, you have a virtual version of you that's constantly being fed information that you could just access whenever you want. This gets pretty deep. Yeah, which is awesome. So, so with that being said, how can somebody 
increase their lifetime value. Okay. So through this or through whatever. Through anything else, it goes. It, what's going to happen for marketing is you're going to go back to the origins of marketing. You know, when you didn't have Google and people had to look at things on the wall, and that's how you found people. We're going to go straight back to that, and then we're going to get back into providing value for the customer because a lot of times, a lot of services, a lot of products have been really commoditized just because it wasn't necessary to do a good job. How many products do we have right now that you use every day that are kind of shitty? Oh, it's going to cast on this. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> They're kind of crap. You know, it's just like we have so many things that just break all the time, uh, don't really fit the the problems that we have, and and the companies don't care because f you go. You know, where else are you going to get I, this? I, case in point, <laughs> uh, I have this one video camera that I love, and I'm not going to name the name, but I bought a second one, and it was a two year difference between the two, and they had a software update on the second one that made it glitchy and you had to constantly update yeah. it. The previous camera was on their original software, worked fine, doesn't need updating. I'm never updating it oh, yeah. because the original software was so good and reliable. And now I can't get the second camera to be anywhere near as good as the first one because it's got this new software that sucks. Yeah. Well, and they don't care. You know, think of your, your most of your customer service experiences now. What is it? Maybe a chat. Maybe you can chat with something. Maybe you get your problem solved. Maybe you call and then you get stuck on a phone with somebody in another country. Yeah. Like it's crazy how poor customer service has gone and it's because lifetime value just didn't matter. There's enough people and there's enough money and there's enough market opportunity that you don't even give crap about customer service. What's going to happen is we're all going to go back into customer service because the, the cost of acquiring a single customer is going to be so expensive that you have to do a good job because there's no way you'll stay in business if you don't. If you, if you just keep, oh, I'll just keep cycling, I'll just keep the churn going, whatever. I'll just keep finding new people. That's going to stop, especially if the those people now have an AI that's doing the search for them, mm -hmm. why the heck would they deal with your crappy brand and your crappy product? You don't even give a crap about them. You don't give a crap about the customer. You know, you're just money to me. That's going to stop. You're going to have brands that people have to get committed to, and you're going to have brands that take really, really good care of you because they can't lose you. It's too expensive to not have you. And I, I love this because um, I'm big in merchant acquisitions. For the last three years, merchant acquisitions have been my thing. Um, I've negotiated or, or helped consult for over 2,000 companies in merchant acquisitions at this point. So my, I've got a, a vast library of experience. And uh, I had a, a client, an M&A client, contact me. He was going to buy 50% of a brand that three years ago was massive and has declined over the last three years. And they basically wanted to receive some money, get some new blood, and they wanted to revitalize it. And I said to the guy, at the revenue level it is now, forget where it was, where it is now, there are so many other opportunities that are so much cheaper and have not yet had their peak that I would argue you're better off starting something new or, or working with one of these newer brands that are yet to grow. And he goes, but if I could get them back to where they were, I was like, yeah, but you got to imagine everyone from where they were to where they are today that said no is someone that will never go back. They are never coming back. So, right. So, so the opportunity has decreased by a bunch of market share that's gone forever. Whereas these newer companies that are growing and are at the same financial level, that market is all available to them. They can go and get it. I say, like, so even though you're like, yeah, but it once was here and you've got nostalgia for the brand, you're actually better off going where, you know, uh, where there's Blue Ocean. Actually, it's a, a really good book that was recommended to me by another one of the guests that we have today, actually, uh, Blue Ocean Strategy. But yeah, but you, you want to go where there's clear 
you know, opportunity there yep. to go and grab it. So, okay, so what could somebody do? How are they? Okay, so right now uh, at Digital Marketer, we have the customer value journey. And so if anybody know the customer value journey, okay, we've been around for 12 years and this has been the main framework that we teach. And basically it's an eight stage process taking from somebody who knows nothing about your brand, never heard of you, never heard of your product, and then taking them through a cycle where they purchase something, they ascend through the stages of whatever products you have to offer, and eventually they become an advocate for your brand, like an act marketing channel for your brand. Eight stage process and basically you have to make one for each one of your products. So the stages are awareness. You make them aware. You engage them. You know, engagement we all know from social media terms. Uh, Subscription. How do you get their info so you can follow up with them? Uh, Conversion. And conversion is a trick because a lot of people think like, oh, I got conversion. That's my funnel. I converted them. It's like, yeah, you you did the start. And so conversion could actually be a loss leader or it could be a break even or you can make a little money. But the point is not to make a profit. The conversion is just to make them give you something, give you some commitment of money. It could be a dollar. It's just, it's a mindset change where they say, okay, I've worked with this company before and it's a dollar, but who cares? Uh, so then after you get the conversion, then you get them excited about their purchase. So they're now interested in your brand. And so that's the excitement phase. Then you get to Ascension. Okay. They bought something, they committed, they're excited because you did a kick-ass job and now you can send them. Now, Hey, you like that product? Well, how about this product? Or uh, did you know we subscribe? So you can subscribe to this product every single month. Uh, and then after they go through that cycle, then you ask them for a testimonial. That's passive promotion is what it's called. And then advocacy is active promotion. So then you say, hey, guy, you bought our product. You loved it. You bought a bunch of our product. You know, if you buy five more of them, we'll, uh, or if you send five of your friends to buy the product, we'll give you one for free. And so that's, uh, you know, active engagement for them to go out and get business for you. So that's the the customer value. I, I love this. And for everybody listening, I think it's really important you pay attention and I'll explain why. I ran my business through 2008. And for those of you that were not active entrepreneurs in 2008, you weren't in charge of, of making money. I think it's well worth recognizing the winning formulas that worked back then. Because the business that I run today, I had in 2008. So I didn't just, like I started my business 2006 and you know, we may have changed infrastructure and pivoted during those times, but it's the same company with the same offer. Uh, one of our companies anyway, not all of them obviously, but one of them. And that one company has been successful consistently. It has grown every single year since 2006 and saw some of its biggest growth in 2008. So the question is, what did we do in 2008? And it only occurred to me recently when I started looking at the economic climate that marketing has completely changed its messaging since 2008. Or to put it as one of my good friends says, uh, two years ago, you could basically scream an offer out of a window and people as you drove by in your car would throw cash into the car, hoping that you'd give it to them. And he's like, that's kind of what marketing became, where you could, you know, people describe their business as a high ticket offer. And I'm like, what are you selling? Oh, it's a high ticket offer. What is your high ticket offer? We, I charge people a lot of money for this offer. It's like, but what do you do? I don't know because you don't have to market it anymore. It's stopped. In 2008, one of the winning offers that we had back then was a try now, pay later. 
And these offers have vanished in a climate where people will buy now and receive it later. I mean, you know, we saw, you know, 2019, 2018, you could sell something and people would wait six months to receive it. Kickstarter trained people. It was okay to wait a year to receive something you already paid for. But now in, in the economy that we're moving into in the uncertain times, whether you believe there's a recession here or not here or coming, it doesn't matter. What is clear is that people are more wary about their spending. Right now, they're more wary. And the way that a good business bypasses that is to go back to the lessons of 2008, where we led with value, give people, hey, here's a 30-day free trial, check this out. Or you know, put a dollar down, we'll send four books to your house, and then we'll send you one every single month afterward, right? These were the old school marketing tactics, and they worked in an economy where people were worried about their money, where they got to try it first, and then they could, uh, they could pay afterwards. So I think it's really worth thinking right now, rather than waiting for everyone to have to make these changes, make the change now and be ahead of the curve. So we've already mapped out all of our promotions for the first six months of the year. We have all the marketing outlined, we have all the strategies, all the offers, it's all there. And where we may have not you know, dotted the I's and crossed the T's on them, all the framework is in place and the big decisions have been made. And most of our offerings, starting from February onwards, are all, hey, let us give you this. You can use it for a while. And then if you like it, keep it and pay this amount of money, or we're going to take it away. And in th there are two motivators for people. One is gain, and the other is fear of loss. And in a world where everyone's getting rich and you're going on Instagram and you're seeing people you know, showing flashy cars, it's like, well, I want what they've got. In a world where everyone's concerned with money, suddenly it's, I don't want to lose what I have. And so it's a stronger marketing message. So I just want people to be aware that it's worth paying attention to the lessons of what is now 14 years ago and going back and borrowing that. And that's where lifetime value comes in, where I might lose money initially. I might not make all my money up front, but I'm going to collect that money over time. And by doing a good job, I, I love the eight stages, by the way. I never actually heard anybody break it down before. Don't tell Ryan Dice because I'm friends with him. I never actually so went fun. through the program. Um, but <laughs> it's, it's great. I should go through it. Uh, but I, I love that model. I think it's really, really clear, especially turning a single customer into potentially five referrals, which means now your sales lead to acquisition, which I, I think is beautiful. Oh, yeah. Well, well and then, like you said, it's just uh, what, what you saw. And I think people have known that this kind of stuff is coming, that we're going to go back to how it was before where you had to do a good job <laughs> because you saw the growth of SaaS. You know, the, the software as a service was not a thing before like 2018. It was, of course, a model. People had the model, but nobody really considered it. But it went from $11 billion to, I think it's going to be $150 billion in five years. And I think it's because people recognize that this kind of you know, conversion of information consumption was coming and probably richer people knew about it. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, Hey, <laughs> this is this whole commodity market where we all produce a bunch of crap and you make some money and then you produce more crap and then you make some money. That's going to go away because people are going to have to get really serious about the brands they follow, the you know products they consume. And, and even the green movement has actually 
pushed us towards that, where now we think of like, okay, well, where was this sourced? How is it produced? What is it made out of? Like, these are all, uh, you know, new things that, you know, the boomer generation never considered. Uh, even millennials kind of got it on track, but now you have Gen Z that's just fanatical about it. They will not buy your product if it's made somewhere. Like, that was never a thing before. And now it is. So now what's happening is, like I said, it's going to be, your brand has to be dialed in. You have to be thinking of like, how do I, how do I keep this, you know, customer, a customer for 10 years, because that's literally what you're going to have to do if you expect to scale to any level. And I, I, I love that as well. I, my, my good friend, Steve Sims always says this, and Steve's one of the guys I know who's the best at branding I've ever seen. And he's like, remember your brand is not what you write on your website or what you tell people. Your brand is what everyone says about you behind your back. And that's the case. So you can say on your website, we represent green and we're economically sourced and also environmentally friendly. And if everyone's like, they're not, don't trust them. Like, and, and you're done. So it, it really is making sure that you understand what people say about you. Mark, if people want to find out more about you, where do they go? Oh, uh, so digitalmarketer.com. Uh, I'm actually leaving straight from here to work on our new social media certification. So nice. if you guys want to know how we think that social media is going to be used uh, in the very near future, we're bringing all the top people to actually break down the platforms and, and deal with the current issues. Uh, you can find out more about me at markdegrass.com. I'm actually uh, coming out with a book, hopefully next week. Uh, about the future of content marketing. Right. And basically, I took all of the things I know about AI, all the testing I've done, and then the 500 science fiction books <laughs> I've read <laughs> that include AI. And so I've actually kind of melded together like, okay, here's what might happen. And what's going to happen is way more complicated than anybody thinks right now. Most, most people just think, oh, it's a neat tool. It's kind of fun. It's like, <laughs> well, because you have to start thinking in terms of imagine you apply this function to every app that you have. So what happens right now is with the apps, you have to learn a bunch of crap to use them. Imagine if everybody just had a you know field where you type any question you want about anything about the app or the product and it does the thing for you. Hey, Facebook, stop notifying me for the 50 pages that I manage. Period. Yep. Done. Imagine that. Imagine that one change for all the apps that you use. It would change. It would save so much time for everybody. So what we're going to get, internet's going to be good. This is all good. <laughs> Dude, I love that. And who would have thought that your love of science fiction books would actually be useful? Um, so uh, once again, this episode is brought to you by upsells.com. It's a done-for-you solution for sales where we increase your revenue and you get to keep all the profits. Just check out upsells.com. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to Smart Businesses Do This. Now, if you're new to the podcast and you want to learn more about how to build a smart business, then the absolute best place to start is with my Smart Blueprint ebook. Over 10,000 people have already gone through the book, and it's one of the most comprehensive resources on strategically building and growing your business that you can find anywhere for free. Just visit thesmartblueprint.com forward slash ebook to grab a free copy. And I'll see you on the next episode of Smart Businesses Do This.